All right, today we're going to look at Jude, and I'll read Jude, verses 1 through 8. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So today our verses will be Jude verse 6, and it'll intermingle with verses 5 through 8. And in the previous sermons I pointed out the, the fact that Jude has an analytical mind, and therefore Jude writes an analytical letter or sermon. And that's what we're going through. Analytical letters offer a clear point of view, are well organized around a main idea. They address opposing arguments and are thoroughly supported by primary and secondary sources. Knowing that Jude has an analytical mind and has written an analytical letter, we can see more clearly Jude's main purpose followed by his argument. So in Jude 3, we looked at the purpose of the letter and determined that every believer in the church is supposed to contend earnestly for the faith in their local church and then in the broader church community. In Jude 4, we saw that the problem and danger for the church is that certain persons have crept in unnoticed who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And I pointed out that for certain persons have crept in unnoticed the verbal form here is used, used here is derogatory and it implies these persons are outsiders and have hidden their true character and motives when coming into the church. So in other words, these men and women were crafty like the serpent in Genesis 3.1 and are pretending to be godly members of the Christian church. They come into the local church and they say they believe in the same doctrines and confessions as that church. They may even have more knowledge about the doctrines and confessions than most of the members of the church. But their only goal is to creep in unnoticed, to take advantage of and to enslave that flock of God for their own purposes and desires. They come in, they say, Jesus is Lord. I can tell you about him. I believe in him. I'm one of you. 
but that's not the purpose. They're there. Some other words to describe these people would be wolves in sheep's clothing, deceivers, seducers, false brothers, false teachers. The best word to describe these people is imposters, which means one who imposes on others, a person who assumes a character for the purpose of deception, a deceiver under a false character. So listen to a few characteristics of these persons who have crept in unnoticed and how they make themselves look like they will be a great addition and a great blessing to the local church. The first one, these certain persons act like they are super spiritual and they pretend that they are stricter than everyone else in the church, just as the Pharisees and scribes acted towards Jesus. See this in Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Look at us. We're more strict than Jesus. You should listen to us. Number two. These certain persons use flattery to pretend that they have a special love and kindness towards the people in the church in a way to gain followers of themselves and not Jesus Christ. Jude points to that in Jude 16. He says, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. That's what these imposters do. Third, these certain persons are manipulators. They use their greater learning and superior ideas in a way to cleverly influence the people in the church to sin in the same way as them. Because their whole goal is you follow them and not follow Christ. You go on the wide road with them and not the narrow road. They make their road look narrow. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, it says, O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Acts twenty twenty nine and 30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They come in and they say, we have knowledge of Jesus, and we can teach you this. We have better ideas what you should do in your church. And then they lead that local church astray. And we're seeing that all over America today. People being led astray. Jude verses 5 through 17, we will see the primary and secondary sources that Jude uses to warn all those in the church community that those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ and remain in the faith in Jesus Christ will receive judgment and condemnation. Jude also points out the root sins and the fruit sins of these false Christians followed by their judgment and condemnation from our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who will judge them. That condemnation will come from Christ himself. Also in verses 5 through 17, Jude will give us a detail detailed description of these false Christians by using examples from the Old Testament scriptures, Jewish traditions, and similitudes of nature and promise to help the church get a clear picture 
of who these imposters may be and how to identify them amongst God's elect. And the whole purpose of this is so that you can contend for the faith against them. In your own mind, in your own heart, and in the hearts and minds of the other people that are in the church. So Jude writes in patterns. In these 25 verses in Jude's letter, we see 11 patterns of three, one pattern of five, and one pattern of four. And if you guys have been reading the book of Jude, you've probably found all of those patterns by now. Jude, verses 5 through 7, verse 8. In 5 through 7, Jude uses Old Testament examples to point out the root sins and the judgment and condemnation that followed from the Lord. And then in verse 8, Jude will reverse the order of three and show the fruit sins of the false Christians that have crept in. And I'll read these verses following each verse by parts of verse 8 in reverse order. Jude 5. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Yet in the same way, these men blaspheme the glorious ones. Jude 6. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Yet in the same way, these men who have snuck into the church reject authority. Jude 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these imposters defile the flesh. So do you see that connection that we made? <clears throat> so let's look at Jude 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then with Jude 8, yet in the same way these men reject authority. So Jude starts out in this verse with angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. And Jude writes angels in the plural, but we don't know from the scriptures an exact number of these angels. But we can assume there were many. Luke 8:30 Jesus asked them, "What is your name?" And he said, "Legion, for many demons had entered him." So we know there's many. We don't know an exact number. So how did God create these angels? This comes from the the larger catechism Westminster the answer God created all the angels spirits, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power, to execute his commandments and praise his name, yet subject to change. So Genesis chapter 1 says God created everything, including the heavens and the earth, and it was good. So we know that these angels were created to be good. He did not create these angels to be evil. He, not, he did not create them evil. He created them for good. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. These angels, they were created to serve Christ. They were created in him and through him and for him. These angels were created good and pure without sin or evil desires and without temptations as they were in heaven. There were no temptations in heaven for them. So why did these angels sin? Westminster and answer 19a. God, by his providence, permitted some of the angels willfully and irrecoverably to fall into sin and damnation, limiting and ordering that and all their sins to his own glory. So some way this happened for the glory of God. Somehow these angels fell for the glory of God. When did these angels sin? That, that's one of the questions. There's many different interpretations, but when did they sin? Well, it seems clear that these angels sinned shortly after they were created and before the fall of Adam. How do I know that? Well, we know one sinned. We see the devil tempted Eve before the fall of Adam. Genesis 3, 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Listen to what Jesus says about the devil. John 8.44 You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 John 3.8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So we don't know the actual time period when they fell, when they sinned, but we know that there was one that fell before the daughters of men were even created, but after God created them good. So let's go back to Jude 6 and see what, was, see what was the sin committed by these angels that Jude is talking about. Jude 6, And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. Jude says they did not keep their own domain. Their own domain can be translated as their authority, their first estate, or their beginning origin. So you have the King James uses the first estate. You have the ESV, it uses position of authority. This was their first estate. And Jude says they did not keep their own domain. And the word keep here means to watch over, to guard, to be responsible for. So this implies that God created these angels to be good, pure, without sin, and with some authority in order to glorify God and to worship him. And he made these angels responsible to keep their first estate in which God created them in a state of holiness and happiness. If you were in the presence of God, you were holy. You were sanctified, set apart for him. And if you were in the presence of God, you should be in the happiest place ever. That's where God created these angels to be. And everyone in this building today has a domain that God has established for them to be responsible for. 
Every one of you has a domain. You have a first estate. You are responsible for that. God has placed you there. Meaning God has created you for his own purpose. And you are responsible to keep that purpose. He created you in his likeness. You are supposed to show his likeness to the whole world. Jude says they did not keep their own domain. And based on these definitions, we can say that these angels refused to keep their first estate of being good and pure without sin for the purpose of serving and worshiping the Creator. They didn't like that, apparently. Jude says these angels abandoned their proper abode. The word abandon here means to, for, to forsake or to desert, but with the purpose of sinning without restraint or to be extremely wicked. This was their purpose, to leave their abode, their home. Proper abode can be translated original dwelling place, original place of residence, original habitation. They were unwilling to stay there. King James says they left their own habitation. The ESV says they left their proper dwelling. The NIV says they abandoned their own home. This implies that God had established a home or a dwelling place for these angels to live for all eternity in heaven with God and his light. That's where they should have been dwelling. That was their first home. And everyone in this building has a home or a dwelling place that God has established for them. Whether you like that home or not, he has established it for you. You are responsible for that home or dwelling place. Based on these definitions, we can say that these angels abandoned their own home or dwelling place in which God had created them to dwell in for all of eternity, which was with God in heaven and dwelling in his light. And these angels deserted God for the sake of sinning without the restraints of God, their creator. That was their purpose of leaving their home. And Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their own own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. And now we can add the fruit from Jude verse 8. They rejected authority. Why use the fruit reject authority from Jude verse 8? Let's look at the fruits in verse 8 and remember that Jude put this in a pattern of three. Jude verse 8, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. So maybe you could say that all three of these fruits were present in Jude verses 5 through 7, but I think that would be a mistake not to match these patterns of three. I've already made the case that it was the people who Jesus saved out of the land of Egypt that blasphemed the glorious ones in their unbelief. We saw that in 5 and then the last part of verse 8. And we can see from the scriptures that even when the Jews did not believe and obey in Jesus Christ, that the fallen angels believed in Jesus Christ and obeyed him on this earth. We see that. Even though they're falling, they're in a, a state of misery and sin, they still believe in Christ and they still obey his commandments 
on the earth when he's here in the flesh. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Not only do they believe, they shudder. Look at the demon-possessed girl in Acts 16.17-18. through 18. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. But Paul turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to leave her, and it left at that very moment. So even the followers of Christ can command these fallen angels, and they must obey if it's Christ's word. Acts 19.15, And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? These fallen angels, they know you as a believer. They knew Paul as an apostle. And they said Paul was proclaiming the true gospel, the way of salvation. So we see these occasions recorded in Mark 1.23 and Luke 4.33, Mark 1.23 through 27. And I'll read that one. And immediately there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus the Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were arguing among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So these angels were not lacking in unbelief. We'll look at an occasion in Matthew 8 in just a few minutes, but for now I want to make this point clear that if you read these scriptures carefully, you will see that these evil spirits, angels, believed and obeyed in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, you will see that these evil spirits did not blaspheme Jesus Christ or his appointed servants. Paul and the men with Paul that were proclaiming the gospel, they didn't even blaspheme them. They didn't even lie about them. Not like the Israelites did about Moses and Aaron. So that's why I'm taking this pattern of three. And I also want to make the point out that if we read the scriptures concerning Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, that they were the people who defiled the flesh. So there is, there is the Genesis 6, 1 through 4 narrative. And I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm just saying Jude's probably not referring to that. And my answer for that comes from two reasons that I'll, I'll give you after I just showed you this. But we see in Genesis 3 that at least one angel did not keep his own domain and abandoned his proper abode as he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And that was, and he was cursed by God in Genesis 3. And that was before there were any daughters of men and beings. There was no daughters of men yet, but that devil came, tempted them, and was cursed. Second, 
Although Jude will use Jewish traditions or cultural stories, which you have to use for the Genesis 6, 1 through 4 narrative, he's not doing that right now. And these verses 5 through 7, they're all pointing to the historical context in the scriptures that took place as examples for us. Without the use of Jewish traditions or cultural stories, that are outside of the canon of scripture. But he will use those later. And those will be in other patterns. And that's why I'm saying he's not speaking about that right now. And you can look up and, and see for yourself the Genesis 6, 1 through 4 narrative. And it, it really is not a, a big deal to me because either way, the sin is heinous towards God. But based on this argument, what was the root sin that these angels committed? They, they, they would not keep their proper domain, their first estate. They left their proper abode, their home, and they reject authority. One man said, the root sin of these angels is two words put together with a slash. Stubbornness, rebellion. And when we look those words up together, we see them in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three. Where God says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And that same man gives this illustration, and this is just for for our imaginations, especially for the children, okay? He says, God creates these angels, and he created one angel to live on the earth, and he creates one angel to live on the moon. And the angel on the moon sees the earth and desires to be on the earth. He has made a place. He has made a dwelling. He has made an estate. They are assigned there to serve God. And that angel on the moon, he sees it. He desires it. He thinks to himself that he is better than the angel on the earth. And he can do a better job serving God on the earth. All he's got to do is leave the moon. He's got to stop serving God on the moon, he's got to go to the earth, and he can do a better job. And maybe he thinks in his mind, I'm just doing this for the purpose of God and his glory, right? And the angel on the moon, after a while, he starts to think, maybe God made a mistake. Maybe God's incompetent. Maybe God should have never placed me on the moon. And the angel on the moon starts to hate his dwelling place. The angel on the moon becomes stubborn and believes that he is something that he is not. And at some point, he becomes rebellious against God and tries to take the place of God. He leaves that moon, and he was going to go to the earth, but now he wants to take the whole place of God. He left his dwelling. He left his first estate. He left what he was created to do and be. So what is rebellion? Rebellion can be defined as an open resistance to or an attack on any lawful authority. And in this case, the rebellion is against God himself. And we see the rebellion for these certain persons is the denial of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master. What is stubbornness? Stubbornness is, is a perverse and unreasonable opinion purpose, or system that will not yield to persuasion, arguments, or other means. And in America, we love stubbornness. 
we promote stubbornness. We think it's great when we're stubborn. We talk about our, our family being stubborn, whether our children. We talk about them being stubborn and we laugh about it. We talk about our grandparents, how stubborn they were, and they made it through the Great Depression and through the wars. And if you think I'm stubborn, you should have seen my grandmother, right? And God says that's like sin and idolatry. So these angels had a problem. They were stubborn. We see an example of this in Stephen's speech as stubbornness when he refers to the Jews as a stiff-necked people. Acts 7.51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. The sin of stubbornness can also be interchanged with the sin of presumption, which means unreasonable confidence in the divine favor of God. Headstrong confidence to do something without reasonable proof that there will be success. That was the sin of these angels. When you put this root sin of stubbornness rebellion in the context of Jude 6, it becomes a very grievous sin against God that deserves all of God's wrath. Remember that according to the scriptures, these angels were in the greatest place that anyone could be in, which was in the presence of our eternal, glorious, majestic, almighty, triune God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, where the light of God dwells forever. And yet these angels still rebelled against God, and in their stubbornness they presumed that they could defy the purposes of God or take his place of authority over all of creation without any punishment. That is stubbornness, presumption, rebellion. We see a similar example happen when Adam and Eve were in God's garden and ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking they could be like God. Yes, they were tempted, but they ate it, thinking they could be like God, thinking there would be no repercussions. Thinking that, oh, you know, God will just, he'll let us be like God. That was the sin that came into the world through Adam and death through sin that spread to all men through their federal representative, Adam. They just ate the fruit, and all men have sinned, and all men die because of it. The sin of stubbornness rebellion that these angels are guilty of committing against God and waging war against God and trying to dethrone God and take his place while in his presence in heaven is far worse than lusting over the daughters of men and taking them as their wives. So, whether you believe the Genesis 6 narrative or not, I believe this sin is way worse. Rebelling against God is much worse than lusting over women. Although it's a, it's a sin as well. Revelation 12, 7-9 kind of gives us an overarching picture of this. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
So what should we expect from God when he is sinned against because of stubbornness, rebellion? We should expect judgment, condemnation, and eternal separation from God for his glory and for the sake of his holiness without the hope of his mercy and his grace. That's what the, stu- the sin of stubborn rebellion got these angels. What should we expect? Jude 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their own proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Peter has a similar message, Second Peter. For if God did not spare angels who sinned but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness being kept for judgment... So let's look at God's eternal decree here in Jude 6. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The word kept here is the same word as keep and means to watch over, to guard, to be responsible for. So just as the angels were responsible to keep their own domain and proper abode, Jude says Jesus has taken on the responsibility of keeping these angels bound in darkness until the judgment of the great day. They lost their responsibility and Jesus took over for them. It says he is kept in eternal bonds. The word bonds here means chains with the idea of imprisonment or captivity with eternal added to it means everlasting or endless. So the King James says, He hath reserved in everlasting chains. ESV says, He has kept in eternal chains. What kind of everlasting chains can hold spirits? That was my question. What, what can hold these angels? What kind of chain? Are they chains made of iron? These everlasting chains are a metaphor speaking of the angels' present estate because of their sins. That's what these chains are. Remember the first estate of these angels was good and pure, without sin, with some authority. But now they are chained everlasting to their present estate, which is in the bonds of their sins. They are imprisoned to their wickedness. They can only do evil, and they can only desire evil but they don't even have the authority to do the evil that they desire to do. That's what these chains represent. These angels are in the same estate as Simon the Magician for eternity. Acts 8.23 For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. That's what Peter tells Simon the Magician. That's what these angels are chained to. That is their chain, the gall of bitterness and the bondage of unrighteousness. Everything from their first estate is gone, and they are without the hope of mercy, peace, and love from God, as he will hold them in their present estate with no hope of salvation in their future, but with the everlasting chains of misery that can never be broken. These angels stand guilty forever without the grace of God they once knew. One man said, these chains can never be broken. The angels cannot break them themselves, and Christ will not. 
for their day of grace is past. Our chains, too, would be eternal if Christ did not break them and open the prison door to the captives. We have an advantage over these angels, for a year of freedom has been proclaimed to us. Christ himself was bound with our chains. He was put in prison so that we might go free. People who reject the mercy of Christ's offers can never free themselves from the hands of justice, but forever remain under the power and wrath of the living God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's where these angels are. So where has God put these angels in prison? Jude 6, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness. So that's where they are. And at first glance, you might think God has put them in a dungeon somewhere. But we must think biblically about this matter. Because you might think, oh, they're just under darkness, and darkness means imprisonment. So they're in prison somewhere. Well, where is that? These angels are now where every living person outside of Christ exists, and that is in spiritual darkness on this earth. One man writes, We should not interpret this text to mean that all the fallen angels are locked up in a certain place. If this were the case, the earth would not be plagued by demons. The picture Jude conveys is that the rebellious angels are living in spiritual darkness and are chained to their sentence of divine judgment from which they can never escape. The Bible has much to say about this spiritual darkness. Darkness can represent the spiritual state caused by sin. Psalm 107, 10 and 11. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in afflictions and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Romans 121, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were in a dark place. 1 John 2.11, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's not that we don't have sunlight here. It's just everything is spiritually dark. Darkness also represents a place where there is no light. Speaking of Jesus, John 1, 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He who was the Word, the Word became flesh. He was from the beginning, and that He, the light, came into this world. That means this whole world was dark. John 3, 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Speaking of Jesus again, John 8, 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Speaking of Christians, Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. Where do you live? In darkness. That's why you're not supposed to hide your lamp. 
You're not supposed to place it under the table, under the blanket. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so Jude says, he has kept eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. You see, they're in the darkness, they're here with us. These fallen angels, they can never go back to heaven. They can never go back to the presence of God. They've lost their first estate. So what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the judgment of the great day. On the judgment day, these angels will be punished far worse than they are receiving at this present time for their sins against God. And part of that punishment is knowing that their time is coming and having no power to escape from that day of judgment. That's part of their punishment now. They have no escape, and they know their time is coming. And I say this is a grievous sin because they had such a high and holy place of position with God, the triune God. Matthew eight twenty nine. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? They know their time is coming. This will be a great day because Christ will come in his glory. Those who are outside of Christ will be punished for their evil. And those found in Christ will have eternal life with Christ. It's going to be a great day. Every sin is going to be exposed. Mine and yours. Everyone's. But it's going to be a great day. Read to you from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom before you, prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. For I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. These angels can never expect that eternal life. They will never have hope again. Which we should think about. Where will you be found? Will it be with Christ or without Christ? This should be on our mind and our heart. We should examine, self-examine, test ourselves. But that's not the point of this. So Jude 6, And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds and under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And we'll back this up with Jude 8. Yet in the same way these men reject authority. So we just saw the sin of these angels and how evil it was. And the reason I took the time on it is because we need to know that these men who come in the church, these men and women who claim to be something they're not, it is a grievous sin towards God. We cannot treat it lightly. We don't want to be kicking people out of the church or or discriminating against people that come into the church, but we have to know that if we catch a person in this position, we should not take it lightly. And it's not that we separate the sheep from the goats, but we need to contend earnestly for the faith. We can't just let it go by. We can't just say, that's okay. That's their walk with God. God loves them just the way they are. No, it's a grievous sin that is eternal. That's why it matters. So yet in the same way these men reject authority. Jude says that these imposters that have crept into the church and reject, they reject the authority of Jesus Christ himself. It's not that they reject the authority of their elders. Maybe they come in and they seem humble. Maybe they want to be an elder. Maybe they want to be one of the leading ladies to teach all the ladies in the church. But they reject the authority of Christ himself. There are some that say they just reject the authority of the government. And their whole focus is on how they they reject the authority of the government. But that can only happen if you reject Christ himself. So that's just a fruit of rejecting Christ himself. Remember, they come in saying that Jesus is Lord in order to look like the Christians in the church. But their lives prove that Jesus is truly not their Lord, but sin is still their master. And we must contend for the faith with them. And we're going to look at this part more in depth when we focus on all of Jude verse 8. But for now, after seeing the fate of these fallen angels, I want to point, I want to point out to the imposters, I want to point them to what the living God says. Maybe there's one in here needs to hear the word of God. Here's how we contend with that imposter. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think 
will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's how you contend for the faith with the imposters. They must be warned. This warning is actually for Christians, but you can take this warning to the imposters and tell them to repent. Maybe they will. Why did we look at these angels? Well, I want to point out to the doubters in here. I want to point out to the influencers in here. I want to point out to those who have been influenced. These are the people that we just heard a sermon by Steve Linden on. People in the church. What do they need to hear? Well, I want to point out to these doubters and these influenced and the influencers that they must repent and believe the gospel today. If you're in here and you're in that position, you need to repent today and believe the gospel, or you may have the same fate as these fallen angels. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, working together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Contend for the faith with these doubters. Contain. Contend for the faith with those who are contaminating or influencing other people to sin. Contend for the faith of those who are contaminated or have been influenced in grievous sins. You look at them and you think, I don't want to be like that person. But you were outside of Christ. Remember that. Remember that they need the same gospel that you heard when you first believed. Go to them. Contend with them. Stop doubting. Stop being influenced. Come to Christ today. Amen.